Redfield Arts Audio. Redfield Arts Audio presents It's Valentine's Day, EA Paul. From childhood's hour, I have not been as others were. I have not seen as others saw. I could not bring my passions from a common spring. From the same source, I have not taken my sorrow. I could not awaken my heart to joy at the same tone. And all I loved, I loved alone. I love Eddie and he loves me. We're as happy as two can be. Sometimes we quarrel, but then, ha, 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 how we love making up again. Eddie kisses like no man can. He's my poet and I'm his fan. And life is heaven, you see. Cause I love Eddie. Yes, I love Eddie. And Eddie loves me. And now, here's your host. Mark Redfield. Valentine's Day. For fans of the work and life of Edgar Poe, every day is Valentine's Day. Love. The many kinds of love. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. The ancient Greeks narrowed the complicated thing we call love into seven categories, as the ancient Greeks were wont to do. Eros, love of the body. Eros was the Greek god of love and desire, shooting golden arrows into unsuspecting mortals, stirring passions, divine beauty or lust. This is where the word erotica comes from. Philia, love of the mind, platonic love, the kind you have for a really good friend. Ludus, playful love, flirtatious and teasing, childlike and fun, love enveloped in laughter, dancing, good times. Long-standing love, standing in love rather than falling in love, because it grows over time, as it might in marriage. Love of the soul, a selfless love. Love of humanity, love of self. Selfish love, love of a child. It's what parents feel for their children. The figure we most associate with love on Valentine's Day uh, in the cartoons and in popular culture, is Cupid. The son of the goddess Venus and the god Mars, Cupid, the icon of Valentine's Day, in Latin, Amor, his Greek counterpart, Eros, is the god of desire, erotic love, attraction, and affection. Love, 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 American style. 
Valentine's Day is thought to be named after Saint Valentine, a saint that authorized marriages in Rome when they were illegal for soldiers and Christians. In America, Valentine's Day has become big business. The average person, it's estimated, spends between $400 and $600 on their beloved. Well, if you got it, flaunt it. It's a billion-dollar industry. Cards, stuffed animals, flowers, chocolates, and jewelry. In Poe's time, it wasn't an occasion for big corporations to fatten their bank accounts. It was a day of togetherness and true love. Before Poe's time, the day became associated with romantic love in the 14th century, within Chaucer's inner circle. In 18th century England, it grew into an occasion in which couples expressed their love for each other by presenting flowers, offering confectionery, and sending cards known as valentines. Edgar Poe was born in Boston in 1809, the son of actors, very passionate people. His father would disappear from his life, his mother die, she very young, when Poe was only three years old. He would be brought into the family called the Allens, Francis and John Allen. And there, Francis Allen, who it was her idea to bring young Edgar into the house and care for him, although they never adopted him. He then took on the name Edgar Allen, and eventually in life would call himself Edgar Allan Poe, and then when his falling out with his foster father was firm and done, would refer to himself as Edgar A. Poe. He loved Frances Allen, but she too died very young age. When Poe was a boy, he had a friend named Robert, and Robert's mother, Jane Stannard, became young Edgar's first crush, first kind of love. Jane was a remarkable woman, and Jane was one of the first people to encourage Poe to read, Poe to read poetry, Poe to write. I think you sense a theme here in Poe's real life, that the mother figures in his life die very, very young. For so too did the lovely Jane Stannard. Hello, this is Caroline Monroe, and I voice Jane Stannard in Alone, The Life of Poe. She was one of young Edgar's first teenage crushes, a fascinating woman who encouraged Poe to write poetry. While writing Alone, The Life of Poe, I've tried to give all of the women in Poe's life as deep characterization as I possibly could. They're all very, very important, very strong, women. And I did the best I could in the time that they appear in Poe's life story 
to give them depth, give them color, and make them as three-dimensional as I could. We'll come back with Caroline a little later in the program. Edgar Poe's poetry, most of it, was written when Poe was a very young man in his early 20s. And I'm sure, after the falling out and abandonment by his foster father, John Allen, Poe felt the wounds freshly of all of the women that he had loved that were surrogate mothers for him after his mother, Liza Poe, died at a very young age in her early 20s. There was Francis Allen, there was Jane Stoddard, there was his first crush on a girl about his own age, and her father put a stop to that, possibly because of Poe's orphan status, because of Poe's financial status in Richmond, Virginia in those days. When Poe was young, a child, he schooled in England for five years and exposed, as everyone was as he grew up, to the romantic poets, to Byron, to the graveyard poets. Life expectancy was very short then, and all of these thoughts roiled around and are expressed in much of Poe's poetry and his prose, his tales. But let's just talk about his poems this Valentine's Day. The most famous poem, the one that probably springs to mind first, is the beautiful poem, Annabelle Lee. Annabelle Lee is not one of the poems that Edgar Poe wrote when he was young, in his early 20s. It appears much later, and there is always speculation in the hearts and minds of Poe fans that Annabel Lee was indeed one of the women, or perhaps all of the women, that Poe had lost, that Poe had loved romantically. It was many and many a year ago, in a kingdom by the sea, that a maiden there lived, whom you may know, by the name of Annabel Lee. And this maiden, she lived with no other thought than to love and be loved by me. I was a child, and she was a child in this kingdom by the sea, but we loved with a love that was more than love, I and my Annabel Lee, with a love that the winged seraphs of heaven coveted her and me. And this was the reason that long ago in this kingdom by the sea, a wind blew out of a cloud, chilling my beautiful Annabel Lee, so that her high-born kinsmen came and bore her away from me to shut her up in a sepulcher in this kingdom by the sea. The angels, not half so happy in heaven, went envying her and me. Yes, that was the reason, as all men know in this kingdom by the sea, that the wind came out of the cloud by night, 
chilling and killing my Annabelle Lee. But our love, it was stronger by far than the love of those who were older than we, of many far wiser than we. And neither the angels in heaven above nor the demons down under the sea can ever dissever my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. For the moon never beams without bringing me dreams of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. And the stars never rise, but I feel the bright eyes of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. And so, all the nighttime, I lie down by the side of my darling. My darling. My life and my bride. In her sepulcher there by the sea. In her tomb by the sounding sea. Now, of course, the poem that makes Poe a star in his adult life, just a few years before he died, is, of course, the other poem that he is most known for, and that is The Raven. There came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. Just some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this and nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember it was in the bleak December, and each dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly, I wished the morrow. Vainly I had sought to borrow from my book's surcease of sorrow. Sorrow? For the lost Lenore. For the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore. Nameless here forevermore. And again, the unnamed narrator. Poe thought of him as a young student, interestingly. Laments the lost Lenore. And who is Lenore? Is she, like Annabelle Lee, a substitute for his beloved Virginia? Or all of the women that he loved and lost? One of my favorite Edgar Poe poems is very similar. A person caught in some dreamlike state, not sure how he got there. Beautiful poem, beautiful imagery. And with the help of the voice of Caroline Monroe, here's one of my favorite Poe poems, Ulalum. The skies, they were ashen and sober. The leaves, they were crisped and sear. The leaves, they were withering and sear. It was night in the lonesome October of my most immemorial year. It was hard by the dim lake of Alber in the misty mid-region of Weir. It was down by the dank tarn of Alber in the ghoul-haunted woodland of Weir. Here once, through an alley titanic of Cyprus, I roamed with my soul. Of Cyprus with Psyche, my soul. These were the days when my heart was volcanic, as the scoriac rivers that roll, as the lavas that restlessly roll their sulfurous currents down Yeonic in the ultimate climes of the pole. 
that groan as they roll down Mount Yeonic in the realms of the Boreal Pole. Our talk had been serious and sober, but our thoughts, they were palsied and seer. Our memories were treacherous and seer, for we knew not the month was October, and we marked not the night of the year. Ah, night of all nights in the year. We noted not the dim lake of Alber, though once we had journeyed down here, we remembered not the dank tarn of Alber, nor the ghoul-haunted woodland of Weir. And now, as the night was senescent, and star dials pointed to morn, as the star dials hinted of morn, at the end of our path a luquescent and nebulous luster was born, out of which a miraculous crescent arose with a duplicate horn, Astarte's bediamonded crescent distinct with its duplicate horn. And I said, she is warmer than Diane. She rolls through an ether of sighs. She revels in a region of sighs. She has seen that the tears are not dry on these cheeks where the worm never dies and has come past the stars of the lion to point us the path to the skies, to the Lethean peace of the skies, come up in despite of the lion to shine on us with her bright eyes, come up through the lair of the lion with love in her luminous eyes. But Psyche, uplifting her finger, said, Sadly, this star I mistrust, her pallor I strangely mistrust. Oh, hasten, oh, let us not linger, oh, fly, let us fly, for we must. In terror she spoke, letting sink her wings till they trailed in the dust. In agony sobbed, letting sink her plumes till they trailed in the dust, till they sorrowfully trailed in the dust. I replied, this is nothing but dreaming. Let us on by this tremulous light. Let us bathe in this crystalline light. Its sibilic splendor is beaming with hope and in beauty tonight. See, it flickers up in the sky through the night. Ah, we safely may trust to its gleaming and be sure it will lead us aright. We safely may trust to a gleaming that cannot but guide us aright, since it flickers up to heaven through the night. Thus, I pacified Psyche and kissed her and tempted her out of her gloom and conquered her scruples and gloom. And we passed to the end of the vista but were stopped by the door of a tomb, by the door of a legended tomb. And I said, What is written, sweet sister, on the door of this legended tomb? She replied, Ulaloom, Ulaloom, is the vault of thy lost Ulaloom. Then my heart, it grew ashen and sober, as the leaves that were crisped and sear, as the leaves that were withering and sear. And I cried, it was surely October, on this very night of last year, that I journeyed, I journeyed down here, that I brought a dread burden down here, on this night of all nights in the year. Oh, what demon has tempted me here? Well, I know now this dim lake of Alba, this misty mid-region of Weir, 
Well, I know now this dank tarn of Alber in the ghoul-haunted woodland of Weir. Said we then, the two then. Ah, can it have been that the woodlandish ghouls, the pitiful, the merciful ghouls, to bar up our way and to ban it from the secret that lies in these walls, from the thing that lies hidden in these walls, had drawn up the specter of a planet from the limbo of lunary souls, this sinfully scintillant planet from the hell of the planetary souls? We'll return to our program in just a moment. From Redfield Arts Audio, available now worldwide on Audible. Jeffrey Combs, Nevermore, An Evening with Edgar Allan Poe. Written by Dennis Paoli. Directed by Stuart Gordon. Recorded before a live audience. You are here this evening. No doubt, to hear yours truly recite the most popular poem ever written upon these shores. <laughs> For many years, my, my, my stories, my tales, they're more popular than my poetry. Magazines and readership just demanded, oh, new tale, every issue. Oh, God, do you hear it louder? Louder, 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 villains, I shrieked. Dissemble no more, I admit the deed. Tear up the planks. Here, here, it is the beating of his hideous heart. That rather neatly brings us to Poe's tales. The stories that Poe wrote, most of the most famous ones, are the horror stories. The stories that usually there is an unnamed narrator, and usually there is the subject of lost love, reincarnation of a lost love. In Poe's tales, the loss of a loved one, often by a narrator who is monomaniacal, perhaps insane, twisted by the past, unable to see the future clearly. The stories you know, like Morella, the fall of the House of Usher, with Roderick and Madeline. The infamous The Black Cat. In Poe's lifetime, the women were the most important things to him. They were the objects of affection and of love, platonic love and romantic love. There was the search for a mother figure. 
and the surrogate mother, who, among other things, enabled Poe, supported Poe, loved Poe apparently unconditionally, was Mariah Clem Poe, his aunt. He knew of Mariah Clem in Baltimore and lived with her briefly in the 1830s, and there it's where he became familiar with his cousin Virginia, Mariah's daughter. Now, back then, marrying a teenage girl was legal, and marrying one's first cousin was legal. In fact, marrying one's first cousin did not become illegal in the United States until after the American Civil War in the 1860s. I think that the love that Poe had for Virginia was indeed profound. I believe that it grew over time. I think he was struck by a young woman, a girl, to be frank, in the 21st century, who he loved very much like a sister, but something that is difficult to describe as it grew in its complexity. They married, much to the protest of portions of Poe's family. They lived in Baltimore together, in Richmond. They were married in Richmond. They lived in Philadelphia. They lived in New York. And in her young 20s, Virginia, like so many women in Poe's life, she too was consumed by tuberculosis, became ill over a very long period of time, and eventually she died. Poe was devastated by her death. Virginia loved Poe very much. There survives in the letters and papers of the people and the women in Poe's life a valentine that Virginia wrote to Poe. It's an acrostic. If you listen to the first letter of each line of this poem, of this valentine, it will spell the name of a very special person in Virginia Clem Poe's life. Ever with thee I wish to roam, dearest my life is thine. Give me a cottage for my home, and a rich old cypress vine, removed from the world with its sin and care, and the tattling of many tongues. Love alone shall guide us when we are there. Love shall heal my weakened lungs. And oh, the tranquil hours we'll spend, never wishing that others may see. Perfect ease we'll enjoy without thinking to lend ourselves to the world and its glee. Ever peaceful and blissful we'll be. By the time Poe wrote and published The Raven in the United States and the publication of that poem catapulted him into a fame he had never known, 
And as Virginia increasingly suffered from the scourge of the tuberculosis that was killing her, medicine not being able to deal with it very well at all in those days, the succession of very, very strong women come in and out of Poe's life. Beginning about this time while Virginia is alive, and increasing after Virginia's death. Poe is searching for companionship. Poe is searching for love. Poe is searching for the woman. Incredibly, profoundly, crushingly in love with the work of Elizabeth Barrett Browning. There was correspondence, there was mutual respect. He thought very highly of her work. A succession of women come into Poe's life. There's Fanny Osgood. There's the troublemaker Elizabeth Ellett. <laughs> Poe was irresistible to women. Poe was thought to be quite beautiful in dark and mysterious ways. Very, very attractive to women. While Virginia was alive and as she was succumbing to her illness, one of the first women that Poe made any sort of overture to was a woman named Marie Louise Shu. She was married. She came in and helped Mariah care for Elizabeth up and through Elizabeth, Virginia being on her deathbed. And alarmed at Poe's subtle overtures to her, decided that in all discretion it was best to not reciprocate and not pursue, and so she left the household. Other women who come in include Annie Richmond and Sarah Helen Whitman. I have to tell you that in writing these scenes of this period of Poe's life, after Virginia died, and in his devastation and coming out of that, Poe's 
interaction, courtship and romance with several women is a fascinating period. It became all the gossip and a kind of battleground in New York's literary societies and scene. Poe suffered greatly in reputation by some of this. It has been an incredible joy to write this period in Alone, the Life of Poe, my autobiography of Poe. Again, because all of these women at this period of time are very strong women, very complex women. And it alone is its own audio essay or podcast, this whole period of Poe's life. But we come back around to a woman who Poe first fell in love with when he was a teen, Elmira Royster. At this stage of Poe's life, after Virginia's death, and we're now in the 1840s after the publication of The Raven, Poe, hell-bent on trying to publish his own magazine yet again, this one called The Stylus, anxiously raising money and backers to get this publication on its feet and off the ground. He becomes involved with Mrs. Sarah Elmira Shelton, a widow, the very same woman who, when she was a girl, her father stopped the romance between her and teenage Edgar. She had children who were not too keen on the possible marriage between her and Poe. And had agreed eventually to marry Edgar Poe. Unfortunately, due to mysterious series of circumstances that will never be solved, Poe was found delirious in Baltimore in September of 1849, brought to a hospital, suffered for several days, never clearly coming back to full consciousness, and died in October of 1849, at the much too young age of 40 years old. After Poe's death, there were several publications, and one of them was the poem Alone, a poem that Poe supposedly wrote many, many years before. From childhood's hour, I have not been as others were. I have not seen as others saw. I could not bring my passions from a common spring. From the same source, I have not taken my sorrow. I could not awaken my heart to joy at the same tone. And all I loved, I loved alone. Then, in my childhood, in the dawn of a most stormy life, was drawn from every depth of good and ill the mystery which binds me still from the torrent or the fountain, from the red cliff of the mountain, from the sun that round me rolled in its autumn tint of gold, 
From the lightning in the skies it passed me flying by. From the thunder and the storm and the cloud that took the form, when the rest of heaven was blue, of a demon in my view. It's Valentine's Day, E.A. Poe, was narrated by Mark Redfield, with the participation of Carolyn Monroe, Jennifer Rouse, special thanks to Hannah Raven, and Edgar Allan Poe Australia, as well as Clementine Mills. Special thanks to Gary D. Rhodes. Original music and sound design by Jennifer Rouse. Poe's Valentine performed by Clementine Mills in a live recording from Edgar's Girls, produced by Edgar Allan Poe Australia in 2015. This program and its original content copyright the Mark Redfield Company. We hope you enjoyed listening and subscribe to Redfield Arts Audio Podcasts. This is Mary Ann Perry. Happy Valentine's Day. I shrieked, dissemble no more. I admit the deed, tear up the planks. Here, here, it is the beating of his hideous heart. Heart, 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 heart.